0: Um, Especially when you consider all of the distractions that seem to be warring and waging against us uh, during the weekends. Um, You know, I don't know about you, but it seems like weekends have become busier than ever before. Seems like there are more ball games, there seems like there's more special events, errands to run, projects around the house, and of course, the need for some kind of entertainment uh, to be able to unwind from the stress of the work week that's come before. And, uh, you know, then there's Sunday morning and that great mighty temptation of really just shutting off. The alarm clock altogether and just going to sleep and sleeping for the rest of the morning uh, Primarily because you don't get to do it any other day during the week You can't do it because of school. You can't do it because of um, uh, You can't do it because of work And so sunday, you know that your boss isn't going to call you uh, and say, hey, where are you? Um, you know, the church isn't going to do that But now if we need to do that for you, let us know uh, We'll try to give you a call if you're not here uh, But it's it's very difficult because once you you really ward off those temptations of sleeping in, after hitting the snooze two or three times, Uh, oftentimes we'll get up, and the problem is, is not only do you have to get up, but you've got to get everybody else up, right? Your spouse, you've got to pull out of bed. Kids, if you've got little ones, or teenagers, doesn't matter, very difficult. You've got to eat. You've got to get them fed. Yes? Uh, You've got to to get dressed. You've got to get them dressed. Then somehow you've got to make all this and orchestrate all this together to make it work to somehow all possible up in the car, all at the same exact time, buckling and strapping everybody in. And then before, Dad completely loses it and revs the engine and begins to honk the horn, waking up the neighbors, right? So somehow we've got to get him in there. You get rushing off. Dad doesn't like to be late, so he is breaking the law and sinning, trying to speed, and then praying God at the same time, God, don't let me get caught, as we're trying to get to church on time. You guys with me at all? So you pull into the church, <coughs> excuse me, you pull into the church. You drive up, you get in the parking lot, you get the kids out, you finally get them you know, in. You sit down, whenever that is, before we've already started, whatever. You get inside, and then guess what? Congratulations, you're here. And you and I feel pretty good about ourselves, right? We're like, we're here, right? And so that's pretty good. The sad part, though, the sad equation of that, uh, to me, is that most of the time, because of all that, Uh, we come ill-prepared and unprepared to truly be able to receive uh, the preached Word of God on Sunday morning. We're just not there. We're just not ready for it. Our hearts are not ready for it. And what's crazy about that is we're people that prepare for everything. Uh, We're people that prepare for vacations, don't you? Do you prepare for vacations? Most most people, most, some of you do, but most of us don't just get in the car, take off, go, oh, we're gonna take a vacation, let's go. You just drive wherever. You might, but most don't. Usually what we do is we go to our bosses and say, hey, I need some time off. And you put on the calendar request, then you figure out where you're gonna go and how you're gonna get there and what you're gonna do and how much money it's gonna ultimately cost. So there's a lot of planning that goes in there. You know, we prepare as well for education. We prepare for our occupations. We prepare for um, for uh, getting married, for our wedding. We prepare for having children. We prepare ourselves for retirement. Amen. We prepare ourselves even for death. There's plans even go that we want to be prepared so that when we pass away, that all that stuff is ultimately taken care of. So we're people that seem to love planning, and we seem to be planning out all these different events in our life, except for what I believe is probably the most important event of your life. That is the supernatural event of the preaching of the Word of God every single Sunday. The preaching of the Word of God is something to where, when it is done correctly, when a man of God stands in the pulpit, preaches the Word of God, he gets the message right, God Himself is speaking. That's an amazing thing. You don't, get that. you don't get that on vacation. You don't get that at work. You don't get that all this, those different places. God, through his divine wisdom, has chosen this preaching event and the preaching of the word of God for the Holy Spirit to take that word, cultivate, and change your heart, change my heart, and take a lost person, transform him. We're, we're talking about listening, and you guys are completely distracted. Just because two people walked in. I'm so glad I'm preaching on what I'm preaching this morning. All right? Two pe- you, you guys are beautiful. You guys are awesome. Did you get a good look? We, we good? All right? So, so the idea is, is this is something that we've been talking about for the last four weeks. Understanding that this is unique. This is amazing what God is about to do here when the word of God is preached and the Holy Spirit begins to change you and me. And he's divinely, according to his divine wisdom, put it together for a way for you and I to change in the image and likeness of, the, of his son, Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful, awesome thing. But again, most of the time, we don't fully come prepared. Let me say this. Preachers are called to preach. Amen. Sure, whatever that means. Yeah, they're called to preach this book. Not their opinion, but this book, yes? And that's what we've been seeing through this week. So he's called to preach this book. That means that his responsibility then is to be as prepared as he possibly can when he stands before the people to preach this book, right? Have you ever heard a preacher that you're like, I'm not so sure he prepared Right. That is annoying. All right. It is his job by the call of God to proclaim the word of God. He needs to spend time preparing. But listen, just as God calls a preacher to preach, he calls a congregation to what to listen and to hear. What God has called me to do is to be the best preacher I can possibly be and be as prepared as I possibly be. And the call of God on your life is to hear the word of God. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And God says your responsibility is to become the absolute best listener of God's word that you possibly can. Now, the reason that I say that is because that's never been told to me before. I got to admit to you, as I begin to go through this study and begin to do the research on this, I was like so many people before I ever got into the pulpit. I have to admit, I never did anything to really prepare myself to come and hear the word of God. I thought I was doing good enough just to show up. I thought if I could just get in there, the pastor and the, and the music guy is supposed to get me ready. Isn't that Right. I mean, you're just kind of dusty, and the guy, if the music guy's really, really good, then what he's going to do is he's going to lead you in the Spirit, and you start feeling it, right? Then you start repenting and crying, and then you're like, okay, I'm ready, you know? You know. And, and, and the Word of God says, no, and that's not the case. We should be prepared as we enter in to receive the Word of God, to hear God speak, and to be transformed in it. But here's what I want to let you know, is not only that the preachers sometimes complain. I know that's hard for you to believe. Of course, not this preacher. All right, um, Jesus, forgive me. Yes, of course we complain. And sometimes there's been a sense of frustration. I mean, you can imagine sitting there and spending 30 hours in the Word of God, getting ready to prepare it. People coming in late, yawning, sleeping, right? That kind of thing. Not showing up. You know, where were you? homie? man, we <laughs> Preacher, sure we just couldn't get out of bed. Oh, that's so funny. All right, you know? I mean, you can imagine, Yes. And so what happens is we preachers go, man, if the people would just be ready to receive the word when they came into the house of God, if they would just be prepared. But here's the problem with the preacher. They've never helped their people learn or even know that they're supposed to be prepared. So you guys are in all kinds of trouble because I'm going to help prepare you. All right. So does the Bible tell us that we should be prepared for the hearing of the word of God? I think so. I think right here in the book of Jeremiah is kind of a classic example of this. Jeremiah chapter 4, let me tell you what's going on. Jeremiah is a prophet, often referred to as the weeping prophet. And God had called Jeremiah to preach the, for the people to repent. They had been disobedient to God. They had been not following God. They refused to listen to God, receive his word, and respond in obedience to what God was calling them to do. Jeremiah was called to, called to tell them and to preach to them to repent repent. Or the wrath and the judgment of God was going to come down upon them. And we know sorrowfully through the book that they don't repent and the judgment of God does come on them. And they are exiled. And so we see in this particular book, though, in verse 3, he says something to the people. In verse 3, he says, "'For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, "'Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns.'" Break up your fallow ground. That phrase fallow ground there, what that actually speaks of is this. It begins to talk about agriculture as he's speaking to the people. And, And that fallow ground is actually a piece of land that has been set apart for the specific use of agriculture, of planting crops. And so it's been set aside and it's already been originally worked. It's already been tilled. It's already been prepared to be able to receive seed. But what it says is this particular piece of land has been unused, gone unused for at least a season, if not two seasons. That's what fallow ground is. And what happens is when that soil is not worked and it's left after being plowed, it becomes hardened. And it has become so hardened that it can no longer receive any of the seed so if it can't receive the seed into itself and down into the moistness of the soil then ultimately what's going to happen is there will never going to be a crop there's never going to be any growth so the question then is he turns then and he says listen what you need to do is you need to break up that ground You need to take a plow. You need to take a shovel. You need to take a hoe. You need to take whatever it is, and you need to break up that ground, soften it up again so that a seed can permeate that soil so that it can begin to grow, life can begin to occur, and guess what? You can begin to produce a harvest and receive a harvest. Now, the question is, why in the world is Jeremiah talking to the people about this issue of agriculture? And the reason is, basically what he's doing is he's doing a a sense of a parable or an analogy. What he's doing is he's saying, hey, listen, guys, your heart, your heart is that fallow ground. Your heart has been cultivated by God, by the Holy Spirit itself to receive the word of God. That's that's an act of God that only God can do. And he says, and here's the key. He says, but it's been left undone in, because of your disobedience and your unwillfulness to receive the word of God and to obey what God is saying. He says, your heart has become vastly hardened. It's become so hardened. He goes, now, when the word of God is coming your way, which is defined by the seed, that's the seed. He goes, when the word of God, which is the seed, comes and tries to get in you to change and transform you and bring you life. and and, and have you produce fruit, which is consistent to repentance, he goes, it can't get in. He goes, I'm preaching, but you're not listening. I'm preaching, you're not hearing, you're not receiving the word because your hearts are completely and utterly hardened because of your sin. So what does he tell him to do? He goes, you as believers need to cultivate, you need to break up that hard ground of your heart and prepare yourself to receive God's word. Now, here in Jeremiah, you might not be as familiar as what Jeremiah is saying here, but I guarantee you're probably far more familiar with Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells the parable of the sower and the seed. He says, the sower went to sow some seed. Do you remember this? And he talks about four different kinds of soil. He says, some of the seed fell on the hard or rocky soil. Some of the seed fell on the shallow soil, which was only an inch deep. Some of that seed fell on on the crowded soil that, that was full of weeds and things like that. And he says, but one of those four soils was the good soil. And he says, and that soil was the only soil that was good enough for to be able to receive the seed and to be able to produce a harvest. Now, here's what you have to understand. Jesus, in context of that parable in Mark 4, was specifically talking about lost people. He was giving three different conditions of a lost person's heart who has never come to faith in Jesus Christ, and he, and he describes the different reasons why they don't come to faith in Jesus Christ. He says, sometimes it's just the hardness of sin. Sometimes it's because the cares and the wonders and the things of this world, they love more than they ultimately love God, so they never really truly receive the gospel. Then the very last seed, the good soil, is a picture of a believer, of God working in that person's heart, preparing that heart to receive the word, and they produce fruit, which is actions consistent with true conversion and repentance. You guys got that? So, what's interesting here, though, about the two things is that even though he is talking specifically in, in, in Mark chapter 4 to believers, we know that the application certainly applies to, or excuse me, to unbelievers. Certainly the application is there for believers. Because what happens is, even though God has changed us and he has changed our heart and he has changed truly who we are, the essence of our being, we understand this is sometimes our heart is just like a lost person, is it not? Sometimes it becomes hardened with sin. Amen. Unfortunately, sometimes it becomes crowded with the cares and the wonders and the desires and the things of this world. So the word of God is not able to take root and to be able to produce fruit inside of our life. So there's application there for the believer. For both Jeremiah and the teaching of Jesus Christ, both teaching a very similar truth. But here's what I want you to understand this morning is what's interesting is both of them, especially Jeremiah, is saying, hey, look, you need, he's talking, to, he's talking to, to Christians. He's saying you can do something about your hard heart. That's an amazing thing. Ultimately, it's up to the Holy Spirit. But you and I can take steps. You and I can do some things to make sure that our heart is prepared when we come into the house of God to be able to receive his word. It's ultimately dependent upon him. But he says, look, in obedience, I want you to do these things. But what's what's crazy to me is this is neither Jeremiah nor Jesus within the context of what they've written. Tell us how to do it. Jeremiah says, hey, listen, break up that fallow ground. But he doesn't tell us how to do it. This is where it gets a little bit tricky. Okay, because here's what happens. We in order to understand it, because we believe in the sufficiency of Christ, that means that it has everything we need for salvation and for sanctification, looking like him, that within the word of God, it's going to show us how we can prepare our hearts. Okay, so what we have to do is we kind of have to take a look. We have to kind of look over and find out very carefully through the word of God and see if it teaches us something about being able to prepare our hearts. And I believe it does. So this morning, what I want to do is looking throughout the word of God, I want to give you seven ways that we can prepare our hearts to receive the preaching of God's word when we come in here for the preaching event on Sunday mornings. Now, we're going to work through this quite rapidly, so hang on. First thing we need to do, here it is, come rested. Come rested. Now, I know that doesn't sound like very spiritual advice, but I want to let you know it is very good spiritual advice. Because no matter how on the preacher is, no matter how accurately he rightly divides the word of truth and preaches the word of truth, no matter how much time he's spent in prayer, no matter how filled with the Holy Spirit he is, if he gets up in the pulpit and preaches and you are yawning and falling asleep, or you are so tired that you can't get out of bed, you are neither going to hear the voice of God nor are you going to be transformed in the image and likeness of Christ. You guys with me? So the Bible says in the word of God, it says this, it tells us in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 13, it says, love, not sleep. I think it's time to repent. Let's all repent for a moment before we move on so we can hear God's word. Love, not sleep, lest you come to poverty and what he's saying is this, he's, he's actually talking about the physical world. He's talking about financial poverty here. He says there's somebody that loves sleep so much, he sleeps late, he doesn't have a job, therefore he doesn't get a paycheck, and so now he's found himself in financial ruin. He's financially impoverished. And he says instead what you need to do is you need to open your eyes. In other words, go to bed earlier, wake up refresh, get yourself a job, get a paycheck, and notice what he says, and you will have plenty of bread. Now, I know in context, this is talking about sleep and its, its, its problem and how it affects our financial poverty. However, I believe the same principle can be applied to us spiritually, very clearly. He says, listen, love not sleep lest you come to poverty. Listen, if you were sleeping in or sleeping here, it doesn't matter. make a difference where it is. And don't sit back and think, that, well, I'll just sleep at home. All right, that's not the point. The point is, if you're not being able to hear, he says, it's because you're going to become spiritually impoverished. Because you need the word of God being sown into your life. Or guess what ultimately is going to happen? You're going to be spiritually impoverished. You're not going to grow. You're not going to be transformed in the image of likeness of Christ. Unless you have the word of God being preached in you. And he says this. He says, listen, all you have to do is come awake. He says, basically, get out of bed. Open up your eyes. Wake up. Go to bed earlier. And notice what happens. You come to the house of God and you'll have plenty of bread. Not physical bread, but spiritual meat to eat, spiritual bread to be able to live on. You with me? So, so you know, it amazes me because this isn't the only church that I've served in. Been youth pastor at several churches, pastors at two churches, a pastor at two churches. And one of the interesting things is, is how we try to get our attendance up. Have you ever noticed we don't have big attendance day? Have you ever noticed that? And the way they do it is this. They bring in a big name speaker. And then they tell all the people, if you bring a whole bunch of people in, you will win A vacation, right? And so everybody, you know, it's not enough to be called to draw people unto Christ. We have to win a vacation in order to really be able to do it. And so what we do is we have a big name person come in, like Bobby Bowden, right? Bobby Bowden comes in, yeah. Bobby Bowden comes in, or whoever you are. uh, Tim Timmy Tebow comes in. You know, whoever for Georgia, all right. Uh, I almost said Bo Jackson, wrong guy, Auburn, uh, Herschel Walker comes in. If that were to happen, do you know what would happen to this place? All right. The first service would be completely packed. There would not be any room in this place. All of you would circle the day and say, I'm going to go see Poppy. And that's exactly what happens. Everybody sits there and goes, I'm going to go hear this guy speak. This is going to be awesome. So they get up and they get out of bed that demonstration of more people coming on that particular event demonstrates something to me. They do not understand the significance and the supernatural power of the preaching of the Word of God. Because here's the deal. As long as the Word of God is properly and appropriately being preached, the power of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter who it is that is standing up here. Guess what's happening each and every week? God is speaking. God is speaking. You get that? So when we're slumbering in bed, we have to have the conviction, i got to get to church. Why? God's going to speak. All right? Now, make sure you clarify, I'm not God, to people, all right? And tell them that it's not a God complex. But what it is, is this, is every single week to be, get up, get some sleep. You say, what do you have to do? Here's a couple things. We, I don't know how this has happened in our life, but somehow we have lost that emphasis on that Sunday morning worship time. And people, for whatever reason, whether a false sense of grace or a misuse of, of grace, what they've often done is they've said, Hey, listen, uh, it's not that important to really go to church. It's really not all, all that important to, 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 to be able to go and, and to be able to do it. And that brings us to the second point. Listen to this. The second thing we need to do is come regularly. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Now notice what, the, the, he's talking about new believers in Christ here. He says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, in the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. The, the Greek verb there, devoted, means this is something they were consistently and constantly doing. Did you know that the early church met every single day? Every single day, coming together with the Word of God, teaching each other, encouraging each other through the Scriptures of the Word of God in fellowship. Now, some people say, well, we need to do that every day. Well, the Bible doesn't say how many times we need to be doing this. It doesn't say. This is, so that you understand, this is what we call prescriptive teaching. Now, excuse me, descriptive teaching is telling us of what's happening. It's not prescriptive. So all of a sudden, somebody goes around and goes, see, they met every day. We need to meet every day. That's false interpretation. It's just telling us what happened. But we do know this. The Bible doesn't say specifically how many days we have to meet, but it does say we have to meet. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25, it provides a warning. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more you see the day drawing more. What he's saying is, hey, listen, you have a responsibility as a believer in Christ to come with the people of Christ. Why? That's a primary way to grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ through the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. You need to be there. Now, I know what some people are going to say. And I want to warn you, please don't say this around me. This is one of my most hated phrases. You don't have to go to church to be a believer. Right? But there's one thing that it instantaneously tells me of a person that says that. It instantaneously tells me that they are not a mature believer. Instantaneously tells me that they are not in love with the church whom Christ himself had given his life for. Look, let's face it. We've all been hurt by a church. Amen. All right, get over it. I'm not here because of what somebody else did. I'm here because of what the person of the Lord Jesus Christ did. That's why we're here. And so we live together, but we work together. And what we do is we bring each other, encouraging each other to come to faith in Jesus Christ and be obedient to what he's called us to do. That we're a team. So what happens is we have to come together. We need to come together. And that's especially important for us to come each week here at Celebration Baptist Church. Why? Because of the nature of how we preach. We preach expository preaching primarily through books. Isn't that right? Everybody who's been here for a while, we work through a book. And here's what you have to understand. By the nature of preaching, by the nature in which the word of God was written, it was written in a way that you and I could sit down primarily and read through the whole book in one or two sittings. And the reason for that is for us to understand the flow of the author, to us understand really what he's ultimately saying. So we have a challenge because each week we're having to break up a different portion of this. So what I try to do is I try to connect it all together for you. So whenever we come to a new section of Scripture, I review what we talked about last week, right? To catch you up, to understand the context so that what we're about to preach makes sense and and we get the gist of what the author is saying. Now, if you're out one week or even a couple of weeks, what's going to happen? When you come back, you're not going to truly understand what's going on in the text of Scripture, you might understand a little of it, but you won't understand the depth of what the author is ultimately trying to get at. An example of that is the movies. How many of you hate when you have to use the restroom in the midst of a movie? I can't. I hate that, right? And, and the reason you hate that is because you don't want to miss anything. But when you go off and you do your thing, and you come back, you sit down next to whoever you know, all right, that you're going to the movie with. What's the very first thing you say? What I miss? What I miss? And it annoys everybody else. Just so you know, what I miss? What's happening? Well, what happened right now is he just walked through the door and ooh, his, his son, for the long last time, the, really? Oh, man, that's good. And now, why in the reason, why do you want, you need that? It's like, it's like an adrenaline fix. Why do you need that? Because you understand, if you don't know what's going on and everything that has ultimately happened, you are not going to understand the full picture of the rest of the movie. And so people will sit back and they go, Well, Brother Mike, we can't be there every week. You're not even there every week, you big, giant hypocrite. Okay, let me say this. If I'm not here, first of all, I want to let you know that there's rarely ever a Sunday that I'm not worshiping in a church somewhere. Vacation, whatever it is, we're in a church, we're in a house of God. Listening to the word of God being preached. But here's the key. Sometimes you have to work. Sometimes you get sick. Sometimes you go on a vacation. But here's the deal. Let's begin to structure our vacations even around the most important event. Is it really going to kill us to go even afterwards? Or you might even have to be out. But do we have to be out three weeks? Why weren't you here Sunday? Well, we're going to go on vacation Wednesday. Yeah, but why Sunday? Well, we were preparing for the vacation. Well, so then you were on vacation this Sunday. Yes. Well, why weren't you there the next Sunday? Well, we were getting over our vacation. So we needed three Sundays to ultimately be out to be able to prepare for vacation. Man, you better get rid of that vacation or get somebody to teach you how to take one. All right. And so ultimately what happens here is you and I, listen, as a believer in Jesus Christ, if we have the true conviction of what this time means, you and I need to begin to protect Sunday. That means that we need to begin to organize even things on Sunday that aren't going to take us away and exhaust us to be able to come inside of the house of God. We're not going to want to take extra jobs and do different things and take strips. They're going to be out of this supernatural event, the preaching event of God. Now, I want to show you the, another thing. Here we go. We also have to come not only regularly, but we also have to come hungry. How many of y'all hungry? Yeah, yeah. all right. We'll eat before you come. I should have put that in. Come hungry. First Peter chapter two, verse two. He says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. What he's saying here is the only way to grow is is, is through the word of God. That's how we grow up in salvation of what God has already created us to do. That's how we become sanctified. We begin to look more like the Lord Jesus Christ only through the word. And this is what he says. You need to crave it. You need to crave it. How many of you crave it? Right. Before you answer that, notice how he says, crave it. He says, crave it. How? As a newborn craves after pure milk, a newborn infant longs after pure milk. We've had a bunch of little babies. Right. And I guarantee all of these mothers would tell you that when the baby's hungry, they let them know. You guys remember this? All right. Not so long ago, crying. And I I just tell my, my wife, when we have a baby, all right, it's hers for the first year. OK, because I can't calm the child down. All right. There's just nothing happening here. You, you go. I mean, all the jumping and the swinging and everything else. The baby's hungry. Only thing that's going to calm that baby down is what? Mama. Milk. All right. The, the, she needs to feed the baby. And so what ultimately happens is, is this. He says, you need to crave it in the same exact way. To where nothing else satisfies, nothing else pacifies, and, and you know what's interesting? When you when you're hungry and you go without food, you become transfixed on food, don't you? You know Dan, my brother Dan over here. Um, I said this in the first. I don't mean to embarrass you, brother Dan. In 30 days, has lost 18 pounds. Isn't that awesome? That's a lot of weight, isn't it? 18 pounds. That's a, that's that's a lot. And uh, and so he's lost all this weight. He's continuing to go. He wants to be fit and athletic like his pastor. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, And uh, uh, anyway, so he's doing very well. But what's been interesting is, is is, is Dan, oftentimes I'm the one that like 930 comes. I'm like, dude, where are we going for lunch? I'm starving. But now that he has not been eating all that food, he's like 930. He's like, dude, when are we going to go? Where are we going to go? Where are we going to eat? When's it going to be time? Why? Because he's hungry. Got it? He's starving. And so what happens, you guys know, especially ladies, I love you. But my wife will admit she cannot think if she's hungry. I mean, she is true. I mean, she can't think of anything. She's like, I'm hungry. Give me food. Yeah, you, you, you get that, right? Uh, and she does it in the most loving, caring way. And I get it. So what do I do? I get her food, right? Now, here's the great thing about that kind of hunger it can be satisfied, isn't it? It's satisfied. You give somebody a box of Twinkies, whatever it is, you give it to them. They're satisfied. And then, man, we get in a recliner with a toothpick. We fall out and we're like, man, I ate too much. I feel sick, right? And We're satisfied. I don't want to look at food. Well, this is how it's switched. The word of God is completely different. The word of God is different in that the more of it that you get, the hungry for it you become. Here's a quick way for you to check yourself. When you come into the house of God, if you're not hungering and ready and desiring the word of God, there's little chance that you've been feeding on the word of God throughout the week. If you've been feeding throughout the Word of God, man, you just begin to get this unbelievable appetite for the Word. And then by that time, I just want to see you one morning with a fork and a knife and a little hanky going, give it to us, preacher, give it to us, right? Not really, but that kind of look of anticipation that the Word of God is ultimately going to come. Now, now here's the key. We, we see this in the book of Job chapter 23. Just listen to how he talks of the Word. I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Is it more than the food that I crave each and every day. I crave God's word even more. Then he sits there in Psalm 119, verse 72. He says, The law of your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. <laughs> is that true for any of us here? Is the words of God more precious than any material thing? Any amount of money. It's where I certainly know that the word of God wants us to ultimately be. But I understand that there are some, I, I get it. Some of you are sitting here today and you're like, hey, listen, I want to be hungry. I'm just not. I've always wanted to be one of those Bible students, but I'm just not that hungry for it. What should I do? The first thing we need to understand is this, is we have to make sure that we're in the faith. We have to make sure that we're saved. Because if you're not saved and the spirit of God is not dwelling in you, you will never hunger for the things of God. Your dead spirit will never allow you to. But if you're saved, the Holy Spirit abides within and it desires the things that God desires. And that comes through the word of God. But it might take you at this point to begin to begin some spiritual disciplines where you, for the first time in your life, say, I'm going to spend 10 minutes, 15 minutes opening up, reading and studying the word of God. And when you do, God blesses you because you get a hunger all the more for that word. But it's going to take you getting serious and begin to be get disciplined with it. So the scriptures say that we need to come hungry. Next, we need to come worshiping. Psalm 100, verse 4. I'll hurry. He says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Did you notice that he says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Not enter, come into his gates and take part in thanksgiving and praise. Enter into his gates while you are praising God. While you are giving thanks, while you are giving praise, that means that you are not to come to praise. You are to come praising and you are to come worshiping before God. Now, people will say, what in the world does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that every day you have to be singing to Jesus. All right, because that's how we often picture worship here. But worship is everything we do. We're worshiping now. We're doing it for the glory of God. But but how do we worship? Remember what I said last week, the primary act The most significant act of worship is not through singing or raising your hands or rocking to the music or whatever it is that you do. The the, the most the greatest act of worship is being submissive and submitting to God by the authority of his word. That's the greatest act of worship. So here's the key. The way we come worshiping is that after reading the word of God all through the week, we are consistently submitting ourselves to the authority of God and to his word, doing what he calls us to do, stopping what he's telling us not to do through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we show up Sunday and the preacher brings a firm word, a hard word, and he's calling you to repent and to turn, guess what? You just naturally begin to do it. Why? Because you've been doing it all week you continue that worship. So he says here that we need to come worshiping. A.W. Tozer says this, actually, none of us has the ability to fool God. Therefore, if we are so engaged in our Saturday pursuits that we are far from his presence and far from the sense of worship on Saturday, we are not in very good shape to worship him on Sunday. Would you agree? We're just not ready. Next thing come expecting. Come expecting Psalm 119 verse 18 says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Can you hear the expectation in that voice? God, let me see wondrous, awesome things out of your word. That's expectation. You know, I have always wanted to be a church in a church. That's alive. Have you ever been just in a dead church? Y'all even know what, do you know what I mean? We need to find some for you and just let you go. All right, just I mean, it's just dead, man. And I got to let you know, celebration has not always been each week as, as alive as I would love for it to be. I, I think that a church should be alive. It should be filled with a group of people who are under a sense of expectation that something tremendous that something awesome. There should be kind of a buzz around the place. But let me say this. But I want this to be an authentic excitement and expectation. Not one that is manufactured through gimmicks. Not because of the style of music or the size of the choir or the style of dress or the ability of the band. But one rather that is excitement and expectation that comes from a true conviction that God Himself is going to speak and something awesome is about to happen. That's the kind of expectation. See, we could look, we could all do stupid things to get you guys fired up. All right, back to church day. All right, go on vacation day. We can have all kinds of weird things. We could get a big name band in here. Oh, we're so excited. Expectation, something's great going to happen. You, you get me? But we don't want to try to try to manipulate you. For you to sit there and go, oh, all these bells and whistles are excited. This church is just exciting to be. No, it's exciting to be because the whole congregation sits there and goes, something awesome is about to happen. And I'm going to leave forever transformed. Transform in the image of my dear Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the expectation. That's the excitement. Next, we need to come repenting. We need to come repenting. First of all, confess all sins up to date. James one twenty one. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. James tells us very important. Before we can receive the implanted word that the Holy Spirit has given us, we have to, what, put away filthiness and rampant wickedness. That means this, that if you desire to walk in sin or you have unconfessed sin on your heart that you're dealing with and you come into the house of God, you are not going to get much out of the service. Because as we talked about last week, your sin will quench the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You will not understand the significance of the truth. You may have some level of intellectual understanding. You won't understand the significance and you will not be transformed by it. So you must do what? You must come to the house of God and you must have every sin that is confessed up to date. Saturday, I have a time. It's not the same time all the time. Sometimes it's in the morning when I come into the office for the first part of the day. Sometimes it's in my bed in the afternoon. But way before dinner time, I have to take a time in my life and I sit there and I tell God, I say, God, I know that I have not confessed every sin up to date. I've tried, but I know there's probably sin, unconfessed sin in my life. I don't want anything that I'm doing right now to be sinful that's going to keep you from continue to work in me and to work with me tomorrow. So God, I ask right now that your Holy Spirit would search me, that you would search my heart. And anywhere that I have failed you, and let me tell you this, there's never been a time that the Holy Spirit's come back and said, hey, dude, you're clean. You're good, man. You didn't do anything evil throughout the whole week. Dude, you're spot on. You're just like, Jesus, no. The Holy Spirit brings and illuminates area in my life, and sometimes right there, I may have to go to my wife. I may have to go to my children. I may have to call somebody up. And I may have to ultimately do what? Confess my sin. That brings us up to the second, to the second point. It's not only confess every sin up to date, but every relationship must be reconciled. In 1 Peter 3, verse 7, it says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to your wife as the weaker vessel. That means precious vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that that your prayers may not be hindered. He says, treat your wife the way that she should. Be understanding. Work with her in an understanding way. Be, be, Be patient with her. Love her as a what? Weaker vessel. Precious vessel. As a precious gift of God is what it literally means. And he says, and as a what co-heir of Jesus, one who is a sister in Jesus Christ. He says, if you don't, your very prayers will be hindered. If your relationship with your wife is not right, he says, you may pray. You could pray all day and think you're spiritual all day. But those particular prayers aren't going any further than the roof, man. He says, "So don't think that you can have a right relationship with God and you're a right relationship and you don't have a right relationship with your wife or with your husband or those who are ultimately around you. This has to be right in order for this to be right. And the scriptures tell us that it's not only marriage, it tells us other things. Listen to this in Matthew chapter five verse 23 through 24 he says, "So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first reconcile to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You know what he's saying? I love this. A lot of people and this is how I am. Somebody's got a problem with against me and they're going, man, you really need to talk to them. I'm going to talk to them. I don't got a problem with them. They're problems with me. Let them come to me. I don't do anything. Right? You, you ever feel that way? Always, right? The problem is not with me. The problem is with them. This scripture specifically forbids you to have that attitude. He says, if you come, did you notice where he was at the altar doing what? Worshiping. He says, if you come into the house of God and you know that your brother or anybody else has something against you, leave the altar, go. That's how important it is. Go. Why? Go. Make it right. Now, it's not always going to be made right. There's a lot of people that I've tried to reconcile with. They just don't want to reconcile. God's okay with that. He says, you try to reconcile, whatever it is, aunt, uncle, sister, neighbor, work, whoever, family member, whoever it is, just do it. Get it right. Why? Because if you don't, it impede the power powerful working of the Holy Spirit inside of your life to transform you like Jesus. That's why it's so important. And then the word of God says here, in Matthew chapter 18 verses 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him about it, about his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. What is he saying? Now, not only if somebody has something against you, but if you have something against them, you got to go. You got to go. You got to say something to him. You've got to get this deal with. Until you deal with that, there will be no growth. There will be no spiritual transformation. Now stop right here just for a minute before we get to the very last point. Understanding what needs to happen in preparation and understanding of what we've said so far. Can you see more clearly why there's not more transformation in our church and, and, and within this congregation week after week after week and month after month and year after year than there is? And the reason is because we're ill-prepared to receive the Word of God. And because of it, the Word of God keeps being proclaimed, but just like that fallow ground just keeps hitting it and bouncing off and can't permeate and can't permeate and can't permeate. So people over the years, there's no real true growth in their heart because they're just not ready to receive the Word of God. Last way in which we ultimately receive the Word of God is this, is you come praying. Psalm 119, verse 12 says this. It says, blessed are you, blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. He's praying, God, teach me your word. Teach me your word. Psalm 24, 4 through 5. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. I dare, if I I was a betting man, which I'm not, but if I were, I would dare say that very few people prayed for this specific preaching event this morning. Very few. Some did, but most didn't. I'm not getting on you because here's why. When I sat in the pew for all those years, rarely, if ever, did I ever pray for that particular preaching event. I almost never did. But you know what it's taught me through this study? When I don't pray before I come into the house of God for God to teach me the word of God, what I do is I think that I can do this all by myself. I think I can hear the word, understand the word, and understand its significance, and at the same time, allow it to tra- and tra- use it to transform my life apart from the Holy Spirit, and that will never happen. So that's why we come in. Before we come in, you have to sit there, and we need to begin to pray to him. What do we pray for? Four things. First of all, pray for the preacher in the week. Pray for the preacher. Pray for me. Pray for whoever it is ultimately that's going to stand in this pulpit. Just pray. Just pray that God would be with me, would lead me, would teach me, would show the the beauty of his word, that would uncover the truth, uncover the significance of it, that God would allow me to stay pure before him, walk humbly before him, so that when I get here, I give you the pure milk and meat of the word of Jesus Christ. Just pray for me, please. Great way to prepare. Secondly, pray for the lost that will be here, but that will be there. Pray for the lost that are ultimately going to be here. They're going to be lost. There's lost folks here. who Never come to faith in Jesus Christ. Never repented their sins and placed their faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ. They never came to understand that Jesus Christ, who was fully God, step, became man, humbled himself, and became a man, lived a perfect life. And the reason that he came is he came to die on an old, rugged cross for the purpose of what? of alleviating the wrath and, and, and to, to to take care of the wrath of God that is pouring out on sinners. He came to satisfy that very wrath by dying on the cross. Not for his sins, but for our sins. And the Bible says if we would repent of our sins, that means not just feel sorry for it, not just confess it, but to turn from the complete sinful lifestyle, say, I hate that, and come to him in faith and say, Jesus Christ, you died for me. You died in my place. I receive you as Lord and Savior. You know what? There's people that don't understand that right here, even sitting at my voice. We need to pray and be serious about those that God's working on. Third, pray for other believers that need the word. There's what is being said is exactly what each of us need to hear. And we need to pray that we will be open to it, that our hearts will be soft, that we'll be ready to be able to receive the word of God. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your kids. Pray for your friends. Pray for the people that you don't know. And finally, pray for yourself that you will listen. That you will understand and that you will obey. Sit there and say, God, just like the psalmist, teach me your statutes, God. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day. God, I can't learn this and I can't understand this apart from the use of your Holy Spirit. God, teach me. God, teach me. And, folks, this is your responsibility. I'm called to preach. You're called to listen. God speaking. Are you listening? Jesus, we come to you right now. And God, I thank you for the preaching of your word. I think the teaching of the whole council of your scriptures. God, we come right now in a time to respond. And God, I pray that Lord right now in the name of Jesus, God, that you would continue to move. I believe that you sparked hearts in this place. But now, right now, is a time to do business with you. You've spoken. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to just take this and talk about it maybe over lunch, if that? Or are we going to sit there and say, God, I need to be prepared? God, I've wasted a bunch of time. I haven't been transformed in, in the likeness of you in the way that I should simply because I have not prepared. God, help me to use your word to prepare. God, would that be at the hearts of all of us? Jesus, I know there are some who are lost, some who don't know you as personal Lord and Savior. God, I would love to tell them how to have a right relationship with you. God if they would just come if they would just meet me or one of the ministers who talked with uh, God we would love to be able to share them let them know how they can have true life in Jesus God would you work would we respond in Jesus name amen would you